On this episode of AV Week, Don Mead brightens our day with tales of uh, chip shortages. Uh, take a walking. I can't even speak today. On this episode of AV Week, Don Mead brightens our day with tales of chip shortages, how we all are going to navigate these waters. And HP buys Polly. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 554, recorded Friday, April 1st. Yes, really, April 1st, 2022. Miss Sunshine. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Crestron. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us to discuss the news and information we've gathered this week. And good Lord, do we have a doozy. Uh, Dawn Mead is here uh, from Parts Unknown, although she is on the on the East Coast. So how are you, ma'am? Very good, thanks. Thanks for having me. We just can't say where she works. Uh, Willie Franklin, though, mm-hmm. works for the uh, Otterbein University folks. Uh, how are you, sir? Oh, fantastic, Tim. Good to be with you today. And Mr. Joey D, Joey D'Angelo, uh, works for Joey D'Angelo and Associates. So how are you, sir? Doing great. Thanks for having me. I guess technically we could say you work for yourself, but you also you, you do have an overarching corporation and, and tons of folks who work for you. So my wife is the CFO, so I work for her. Well, <laughs> <clears throat> and and people used to say that you weren't very smart. You are a smart man. <laughs> the only person ever said that you weren't smart was was Josh Trago, and he's no longer in the industry, so it doesn't matter. So. That's a total inside joke on Joey <laughs> and Josh. Yeah. A um, couple things here before we get started. First and foremost, uh, I've, I've said this several times, and I'll probably say it several again uh, in 2022. Uh, my happy butt is basically living on the road. Uh, by the time you hear this, I will be on my way to Houston uh, to hang out with the folks at PSNI. I want to mention that because on Wednesday, uh, you get to see uh, my happy face and a young man that works with Dawn. Uh, so, uh, her, uh, her coworker, I guess, boss, Gary, My boss. Uh, as, as, as I moderate a fantastic panel of AV users, uh, and what it means in, in the space. So check that out, um, as well. And, uh, towards the end of April, uh, hanging out with some fine folks at NAB National Association of Broadcasters in Vegas, uh, David Danto, uh, and some other folks, we're going to be doing a special from there. Uh, so check that out as well. Uh, speaking of Mr. Danto, actually didn't mean to do that, but we did it anyway. Uh, breaking news late this the earlier earlier this week on the heels of Enterprise Connect, HP is set to acquire Poly. Uh, I say speaking of Mr. Danto because he works for Poly. Um, the uh, the total value of the deal is three point three billion. However, you start looking into the uh, fine details of that. About $1.3 billion of that is actual cash. The rest of it is uh, HP bringing on debt of, of folly. So that gives a little bit of insight uh, as well as, as some other stuff. Don, um, you work in the, uh, the enterprise, the, the Fortune 500 space. What does a deal like this mean to you? I mean, you know, I work in the enterprise space now, but I'm coming from the AV world my whole career. And... The AV person in me is just kind of shaking my head and 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 a little bit. I, I would say I'm a little trepidatious about it because it you know it's it's a big move 
more and more IT is recognizing, yeah, we need AV. They're under our umbrella. We need to start thinking this way. And we, you know, I mean, it's only 20, what, 20 years since Infocom started beating the uh, uh, integration is coming kind of thing. <laughs> um, you know, it's here. It's it's past tense. You know, and now the companies are getting in there and buying our companies out. But what is that actually going to mean? My first thought was that scene from Office Space, you know, here come the printers, PC load letter. Oh, that's great. We need that in our VTCs. You know, hopefully it doesn't really affect us other than giving them more capital to work with, more um, supply chain, <laughs> more access to um, funding. And like you said, they're assuming a lot of debt. But, you know, anytime IT or even venture capital that doesn't know our industry steps in, I get a little nervous. <laughs> hopefully it's all for the good, but... I get a little nervous. <laughs> All right. Willie, same kind of question. You're in the education space. What does this do uh, for, you know, not only HP, but also for, for poly in, in education? Um, I have to first say I'm astonished at the cash flow. Uh, that, that just blows me away. From the education standpoint, I honestly don't anticipate much change or recognition brand recognition that is and that's because in education users just need it to work uh, they typically are not passionate about brand with minor exception so whether it's an hp product whether it's a poly product by the way we have both spread out uh, quite a bit across campus it just needs to work i think moreover from the it perspective we would be mostly concerned that we'd be buying or supporting a device that works on our networks seamlessly. You know, so from an AV, from an IT integration standpoint, it just, again, needs to work. And, and that's the big qualifier. All right. Mr. D'Angelo, uh, as somebody who takes these systems and, and, and you know, designs them and, and, you know, helps folks get them deployed, what does this uh, move like this mean as we have watched... Polycom, which is where the poly came from, get get absorbed by Plantronics, and now both of those are, are falling under HP. Um, you know, it's uh, it's deck chairs in the Silicon Valley, um, but I'm I'm a little nervous about it. Um, strictly from a well, you know, the advent of the soft codec has really changed things in the space that Polycom and Poly and Cisco all play in, right? And if we took our 10 biggest clients, which are some of the 10 biggest companies in the world, you know, maybe two or three of them use Cisco and Polycom hardware codecs. All the rest are using, you know, soft PCs uh, with that are imaged to their own specifications and whatnot. And um, recently, you know, we've had a couple big projects with clients that still use poly. And, um, you know, when those come along, we kind of, you know, get reintroduced to poly because, you know, the majority of clients are using these soft codecs. Um, and, you know, I was blown away at how great the new polycom or the new poly codecs are because they're essentially, you know, hardware devices with a USB hub in them and a network connection and a content port, which, you know, you give a, us a nice USB hub and Dante and, 
all that stuff, you're off to the races. You've got a great little box there that's, you know, capable of doing everything that like a Zoom PC could do or, or anything like that. So I was thinking, wow, you know, Polycom's really getting it together. This is really cool. Their cameras have always been good. Their mics are great. Um, they have some really high powered product development people working over there now who I've known for many years and they're doing great things. And then I heard about this and I thought, mm, man, I hope this doesn't mess up the rhythm they've got going over there. Um, it, because ironically, you know, uh, another project that we're working on right now, they had a stack of HP switches and they can't handle the IGMP multicast traffic that we're also near and dear familiar with. And they can't handle some of the Dante stuff. Um, so I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe this will be good for HP because they'll they'll shift more towards accommodation of the AV realm. Um, but I'm also worried that it'll hack up some of the mojo they have in their product development department because they seem to be on the right track. Right. And and maybe that's why HP bought them too because they they're doing good things. So I'm optimistic and I'm happy uh you know for everybody that works there if it does good things for them well and if i could jump back in on, on joey's point um you know it, it, the past few years have been really rough on the traditional hard codec box kind of industry um and and covid and and all of that just accelerated it because all of a sudden a few of us knew about zoom and now the planet knows zoom and everybody's using it and it's just it's taken that acceleration like that but there is still going to be a place for hard codecs. You know, all the soft codecs in the world can't work in certain certain environments, certain security requirements, be it military industrial, be it financial, be it healthcare. You know, there are always going to be requirements where you need that hard box. And, you know, you're right, Joey, uh, both Cisco and Poly have stepped up over the past couple of years of having great products, but they're still getting bypassed. So I, I see this HP merger purchase as being a really good thing in that front. And and hopefully to your point, it'll help Poly get its toe in the IT world a little more. I know some of my customers, without getting into names, but they tend to go more the Cisco route just because their IT is more seamless in integrating this hard codec with maybe a secure environment. Whereas, you know, Poly doesn't have that tight IT background. So if they can sort of get a synergy going between the two companies, it could be very good. I just get nervous. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, next story comes to us from our friends over at Rave and uh, Hope Roth, uh, affectionately known as Beer and Pie, because that is the name of her first album, as well as her handle on, on, on Twitter. Uh, talks about everything you wanted to know, but was afraid to ask about the chip shortage. Uh, Hope does a very, very good job of breaking this down. Everything from just-in-time ordering uh, to to uh, containers going down in the ocean in flames to, <laughs> to everything under the sun and the fact that we don't make anything here in the, anymore, here being the United States. Um, Willie, we'll start with you on this. What is What does this chip shortage mean to folks in the education space and, and you, know, you as an AV professional in general? What are you looking at as far as how we navigate these waters i'm not even going to say get out of this because it's going to be just time but how do we navigate this um that's a 
that's a real tricky one to answer because it's so multifaceted. You know, you, you touched on a key point about things not being manufactured here. That's certainly a, a key part of that equation. Um, transportation is definitely a significant part of that equation. Uh, when I talk to friends and family who are in the trucking industry and logistics industry, uh, I am truly shocked by the lack of truck drivers that are out there to move commerce. So even if devices and chipsets were available, how do you get them from point A to point B? Combined with that is the whole aspect of make it only when you need it mentality. You know, if, 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 you're, if you're running a bakery, you're not going to push out cupcakes just because you can push out cupcakes, right? They're going to wait until the need comes in. Uh, manufacturing chips is kind of along those lines, but far more complicated. You're not going to produce a mass of them and just have them sitting on a shelf until demand bubbles up. Um, so that whole chipset shortage, for me, it's not so easily answered because of all the moving pieces to it. When I think about the educational component, I'm kind of segueing uh, off of your main uh, question here, Tim. My apologies. Yeah. But as I think about the educational aspect of it, we're in an environment where just-in-time learning is very important. We're also in an environment where just-in-time deployment is of critical importance. And that's because there's tremendous latency often in higher ed when it comes to decision-making. So if we're looking to bring a building or a piece of infrastructure online in the fall, my group knows that we need to start planning the fall prior. The administration feels as though they need to start planning uh, before Friday night the month before. Um, so there's a night and day difference in, uh, I think, looking at the reality of bringing a project to completion. Um, looking at that shortage, there's no way to expedite things that you just can't get your hands on. And the other critical piece of that is not only do we have to try to balance the shortage and finesse the dialogue to encourage our administrators to move quickly. But we have to be very flexible when we propose the budget because the cost of getting those re resources is no longer easily predictable. Um, again, it, it's, it's re really multifaceted, right? You know, yeah. you can't build it. You can't get it. You're not certain how much you're going to pay for it when someone says, hey, I have it now. Um, and, of course, the the end of it is if it doesn't work when you put it in and flip that switch, how long will it take you to get a replacement? So do you err on the side of caution and order a little extra? Um, I don't have an answer, but I sure have a notebook full of questions that need to be resolved in a timely manner. So somebody who really does, uh, Joey, and, and I, I give Joey a hard time because he really is one of the smartest guys that I know in this. Um, and just in general, stop shaking your head. Um, and Joey and I were on the SCN uh, Hall of Fame uh, same year. So, uh, and for some reason, Caldera was on the same. I don't know how the heck he got in there. Um, talk for a second, Joey, seriously, about what you're able to not only see from, from this chip shortage, but how you communicate what you see to to clients um, and to compatriots, right? Joey's a, a design consultant engineer, so he's on in between between the integrators, right, as well as the customers, and trying to navigate both of those waters. 
Yeah, um, it's very it's very difficult and very challenging right now. So we're doing a couple different things. When we start a project, you know, we're discussing it. We're we're bringing it out into the open. You know, are you a Samsung house? Are you an LG house? How many rooms is this project going to be? Okay, uh, none of the displays are recessed. Okay, good. And then uh, let's place an order now. And and you know we we encourage that um, right up front for the stuff that you know you're going to need. Let's order it now. We might still have six months worth of design stuff to do, but let's place those orders now and get them working their way through the supply chain. One thing I've been successful at doing is, um, you know. As a consultant, and this is true of other consultants too, if I if I went to any of the big manufacturers in the AV industry right now and said, hey, I've got this project that's going to build Q3 of next year, uh, it's going to have 400 of these. The, they don't go, okay, great, well, we'll just set, set aside some stock for that. I mean, they, I feel like they used to, but now it's like, well, we can't do anything until we have a PO. And um, so that is kind of a problem. And me and a couple other consultants representing several different firms from around the world, we've talked to the manufacturers and said, you need, you need to have some way of, you know, holding places in line uh, for people who don't write POs for consultant type people. Um, so that's one of the things we're doing is we're encouraging placing orders upfront quickly. And, you know, even though it's a long lead type thing, uh, that, that brings on another problem. Uh, if you want to bid the project out uh, and you want to buy 50 Samsung displays or 100 LG displays now before it's designed, you have to go through a dealer or you have to go through distribution or something like that. And that messes with the channel uh, and nobody's happy. Um, some manufacturers are willing to sell direct to these entities, though, which upsets people as well. Um, but as long as we get the stuff we need, we're kind of like, oh, well. Um, and then the other thing that we're doing at DNA is we, we, we use software to, de to develop a lot of our drawings and a lot of our bid forms and, and whatnot, and that's all been automated. Um, we're hoping uh, within the next six months or so, uh, right when we roll it out, the supply chain crisis will probably abide, but uh, <laughs> we're going to allow manufacturers to log into a portal and see uh, what's being specced, where, when it gets built, uh, and, and whatnot, um, so that they're, it's basically like a CRM dream come true for everybody who's in biz dev and sales. But, um, you know, we're willing to do that if it helps our clients. You know, usually it's like, we've got to keep everything top secret and whatnot. Now it's like, well, you know, you can share it with the manufacturers if we can get our displays on time, you know. So uh, we're, we're looking at um, providing some forecasting and CRM tools that will help. Because uh, I worked at a manufacturer briefly, and I know that the people who were in charge of manufacturing, they would come over and go, hey, do you know anything about this project or that? Or, you know, if you hear of anything, let us know. Uh, so that's like gold to them. And then the last thing, um, just in general, and I hope someone listens to this, but I think that the days of just-in-time production are over uh, because the world is not stable enough to provide for that. Uh, the, the geographic and political relationships that we're seeing coming up 
you know, I just don't think we can rely on just-in-time production anymore. And I think people have to actually have a warehouse filled with chips because they're not donuts or, or cupcakes. They, they're not perishable. Um, and I, I'd rather, you know, get my stuff uh, and pay a little bit more for the reliability and quality that we've all become used to. I just don't think that the world will support just-in-time for now. Uh, Don Mead again, uh, working for a fortune 500. What is it? What does this do to you? I mean, uh, Don's company, and again, we can't say who, but several locations, you know, in, in more than just one location, one geographically, but how do you, how do you say, convince, convey these things to your customers who are your, you know, your coworkers, right? But still they're your customers, um, when they can't get the newfangled conference room up and running. Well, I mean, and Spoiler alert, if you're coming to Infocom, I'm giving you a little free taste of one of the classes I'm going to be teaching there. But um, one of the biggest things is you got to manage expectations right from the start. I have been telling my internal customers around the country since this time last year, look, if you want this done by the end of the year or by a certain drop dead date, you got to get those POs out now. You, what do you mean you haven't awarded it yet or you haven't bid it yet? Well, then you're six months behind. Um, it is so critical. We are at the point that recently uh, a couple of our teams are considering slashing their projects for this year and resubmitting them for next fiscal year and just getting through the projects that have already begun. Because, you know, my corporation, along with so many other corporations, they work on a fiscal year. If something's budgeted for this year, it's going to bill by the end of the fiscal year or you lose that money. Well, if we can't promise that something's going to be finished and paid for, or at least billed by the end of the year, we can't really set that money aside. So, you know, we're taking a lot of drastic measures that way. I feel like I've been telling certain customers internally the same thing for months now. It's, it's not getting better. It's a long-term problem. It's, you know, still going on. Plan for this. The days of calling up on Friday and having a new monitor or a new VTC unit or a new whatever on Monday are gone. Even Amazon and CDW and all the last minute quickie prosumer things that you could rely on in the past, they're running low. You know, I mean, we, we've already played the game that we have projects going on at various parts around the country where I will call up the manufacturer and say, here's who my company is. Here's who our, our customers are. Here, we're working with these integrators in these places, but, you know, for reasons... We need to be bumped to the head of the queue when you get these things because we need them. It's it's non-negotiable. It's, you know, this is not, I can't use this conference room for a minute. This is a larger scale based on where and who I work for that I can't talk about. But, you know, I mean, there's certain things. You can't have critical hospital equipment going down because a chip is missing. Some customers have priority over, you know, Tim's house of pancakes having a little boardroom to meet once a week with his with his customers or, or what have hey. you. Oh, well, I mean, you know. Don't hate on my pancake ranch. You know, I, I, I've said it before and I've said it again, but if, if we have if we have Connex boxes stacked up on ships that can't get brought through ports, they need to mobilize the United States Navy and the Marine Corps and get those dang ships unloaded. And if we can't move those boxes from point A to point B, they need to mobilize the National Guard and get trucks going, period. Joey, I, I, I love what I'm hearing. And Don, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. Um, you know, the military has has really perfected 
a lot of logistics, right? And the fact that we don't capitalize on those resources and, and use that resource to train clientele is beyond me. Um, I mean, talk about expertise in your backyard. Okay, hang on for a second. They get <laughs> all hang on. boxes on the beach real quick. Am I wrong? <laughs> I do not want the freaking no. Hey, time out. Damn, I got your CPU right I here, Mister. Want the freaking military? No, I no. What the hell are you guys doing? No. <laughs> but here's the thing, though. Playing devil's advocate, even if we could do that, and Tim weren't objecting vehemently, as well as half the country, I'm sure, it won't matter because you're assuming that those boxes on the trucks and in the ports and off offshore in the boats are full of completed products, which, yeah, there are completed products there, but there's also raw materials. There yeah. are manufacturers here in this country that can't make product because they don't have the raw materials. Going back to what started this whole conversation, chip shortages, you know, we have some chip manufacturers in this country. We need more. The president's working on it. Various uh, corporations are working on it. Mine, uh, I think Willie mentioned there was one in Ohio that's Intel's ramping up another chip factory. Um, there's a big bill in front of Congress to up American chip making to compete with Asia. Yeah. But all that isn't going to help when the raw metals and materials that you need, you know, the, the rare earth metals that you need to make these chips or to make things function are over in a desert in China or over in who knows where in the world. Yeah. And even if we even if we broke ground today, it would take three years before those suckers are online, right? Exactly. To Joey's exactly. point, by the time we get this fixed, the chip shortage will be over. Yeah, and the good thing is, you know, again, to Joey's point, they don't go bad. It's not cupcakes. And with Moore's Law the way it is, we're pushing the limits of, you know, for a while there in the 80s and 90s, you could put a bunch of chips on a shelf and in two weeks there'll be a better chip and you might as well not even have it. We're getting to the point where a lot of the chips... You know, if you get the specialized type you need, they're not going to get an order of magnitude better. You know what I mean? There'll always be improvements, but you can stockpile them. You can build with certain flavors of chip until something new comes around. But yeah, then and that's what RIAP has done. That you know, they've revamped a lot of the board level stuff to you know get products out the door, which has been heroic. But right. I, I'm telling you, we. We, I don't think we live in a world that's stable enough anymore to yeah. allow and, us to go lean on our production. And, and it's not just the production. It's not just the production. It's not just the COVID. You know, we got we, we've got extreme weather in Texas. Joey, you're in Texas. You know, we've had random snowstorms and hurricanes taking out petroleum, which makes the plastics that we use to make a lot of our products. You know, we have bridges falling under the into the oh, uh, Mississippi River in Memphis that is impacting both highway and river traffic that impacts a huge part of the American supply chain. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. It's more than just that boat sideways in the Suez or the current one in the in the Chesapeake. You know, it's a much bigger problem. And shameless plug, if you'd like to learn more about it and possibly how you can get around it, join me Tuesday, June 7th at Infocom for Navigating Today's Supply Chain uh, Nightmare. I'll be teaching that class at 1 p.m. at Infocom. So come and see me and we could talk about it all day. Excellent. <laughs> you know, the, the pandemic certainly changed the way work gets done, right? When we weren't, yeah. uh, when we didn't have the opportunity to convene in the office and group think, but, but we found ways of getting it done. Uh, people have also began a bit of soul searching. You know, you, you hear about the great resignation uh, as folks are either leaving the workforce 
retiring early or changing the way they work. Now I see seemingly every other week a headline of a new shop that's now being unionized, whether it's a mm-hmm. Starbucks, whether it's an Amazon. So uh, you know, I also want to ask that question of how might that impact logistics? How might that impact manufacturing? How might that impact getting those raw materials that we honestly for the longest time have taken for granted right and of course the the political world changes seemingly overnight uh so what might those agreements do in impacting international shipment and international trade spoiler alert you'll find out in july when the west coast (laughs) ports have their union renegotiation the last time they had this negotiation a few years ago it caused a several month backup on the supply chain we're oh, already backed up. So, hey, uh, I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you, man. I'm researching this to, to get my class together, and I saw you that. You see this right like, here. If you're not watching the video, this right here, because I have a 16 year old now, I've got this gray streak straight down the middle, and now Dawn's starting another one to the left hand side. I, I mean, it, it, but Billy's right, though. You know, there's a lot that impacts Hi. this. It's a different world. I mean. I, I've told my, my my customers at my company, I said, you know, when this company was founded, it was post-Spanish flu. It was post-World Wars. You know what I mean? And so our supply chain, our purchasing chain, our way of doing business was developed in a very stable, very available world where you could get things from overseas. You could get things in plenty. We're not in that world anymore. And trying to do business the way we've been doing since the company's founding, we're having bigger and bigger issues because of this, what is I'm calling the largest supply chain collapse in the world history. For more positive thoughts, follow Dawn (laughs) at AVDawn on Twitter (laughs) or go see Dawn Mead on LinkedIn. Thank you. All right, that 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 that'll be that's enough for today. You know, I, we were going to do something else, and we're at thirty minutes, and I'm I'm done. I'm I need a freaking a. Tim needs I, a drink. I'm sorry. Joey D'Angelo, how do people find you or DNA? Uh, D'AngeloConsultants.com. Willie Franklin, thank you, sir. Uh, for, thanks for hanging Pleasure. out. Uh, how do people connect with you? Pleasure. Uh, you can reach me very easily at W Franklin at otterbein.edu and otterbein is o-t-t-e-r-b-e-i-n all right sunshine how do people connect with dawn mead <laughs> i can't tell you where i work or i'd have to kill you but if you're physically located in the greater dmv that's dc maryland virginia area you might see me popping up from here to there Otherwise, you'll see me at Infocom where I'm teaching the supply chain class and two other classes. So look for me on your education schedule. And of course, you can always find me on the socials at AVDawn or here on avnation.tv as much as Tim will let me get on and just blab it. That's shortening, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For me, for Tim Albright. Don't follow me on the Twitters, uh, but go by the website, avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. Don Mead uh, mentioned the fact that of Infocom, a couple things. If you are like uh, Don and Willie, uh, not Joey, although I would let Joey into this, uh, we're having a, an AV users uh, get together, not AV users group, but if you're an AV user uh, and uh, you want to come hang out with me uh, and Don and some other really cool folks, we're having, an, it's called AV Fuse. Fuse uh, part, Aviation Fuse party uh, at the Ice Bar in Vegas on Tuesday. Uh, after you go watch Dawn, uh, you'll need a drink. So let me buy you a drink. 
uh, from five until nine uh, on on Tuesday. Uh, and then all sorts of really cool things happening in Intercom this year. So go by the website and check that out as well as Dawn's uh, show uh, called AV Social. You can check that out in AV Nation. So all that more at avnation.tv. It's avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That is all the time we have for AV Week. <laughs>